0: Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Before we jump into the show, let's get the contact information out of the way. You can contact me several different ways. I have the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. You can also record an MP3 or WAV file and email that to me. If you're not comfortable with recording an audio message, please feel free to contact me via email, and I'll read your comments out on the next show. The address for both email and audio content is firearmscafe at gmail.com. That's all one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook listener page, a Twitter account, and a YouTube channel. There are buttons for these at the website, which is firearmscafe.com, so please go there and click on these buttons and like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe to me on YouTube they are all free. If you would like to support the show financially, at the website there is an Amazon search box. If you use it, Amazon will give me a finder's fee on any products that you buy at no additional cost to you. I also have a donate button through PayPal. I'm looking forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for spending your time with me and listening to the show. Hey my friends, today is Sunday. It is the 10th of November 2013. Let's go ahead and jump right in with some feedback. Before this first bit of feedback, I'll go ahead and give a uh, little bit of background info. On the last show, I talked about looking at the m and and in particular, the M&P 9, and I had held one at a gun store, and I liked the ergonomics of it, I liked the, the feel of it and everything, but I was saying how I'd like to, to shoot one. Now, I was actually contacted by a listener, a very nice uh, man, uh, first name is Adrian, uh, met with him and, uh, we went down to a, a local, uh, gun range and he let me, uh, fire his MMPs. Uh, he had one with a, uh, the old trigger and one with the new trigger. And so I got to get a feel of, of how those were. And, uh, Adrian was a very nice man as, uh, most of the people who listen to this show are, uh, most, uh, most people are very, uh, kind and, uh, good people, and I just wanted to kind of come on the show and also send a a shout out to Adrian and say, hey, thanks for uh, letting me do that, and uh, I'd like to do that again, as we had kind of talked about after our shooting session. So anyway, Tom writes in, and he says, hey, Tony, heard your podcast this morning about brand loyalty as regards your Glock. First of all, I haven't shot or even held a Smith & Wesson M&P. I don't have an aversion to them, but for many years, I've had a grudge against Smith for their concessions to the Clinton administration. The only Smith I've purchased since is a 642-2 because I couldn't find it elsewhere. If I hadn't already had grips and holsters for J-frames, I wouldn't have bought it at all. I have three Glocks, two seventeens, 17s, and 126. I also have multiples in holsters and magazines, and I have standardized to the one caliber slash platform for the most part. I still read gun magazines with their flavor of the month, but I am happy with what I own already. I have held the Gen 4 Glock, and it felt a little better than my Gen 3s, but not enough to replace them. If the M&P feels better in your hand, then go for it. Personally, though, I tend to avoid their products. Maybe I'm just getting old and grumpy, but I have a long memory when it comes to betrayal. Keep up the good work. I enjoy both of your podcasts. And that is signed, Tom. So again, Tom, thanks for sending that in. I appreciate it. Uh, There is a lot to be said for for a lot of those points that you make there. Now, having, uh, as most of you guys know, I own Glocks. Um, I'm pretty fond of them. And I can shoot them well. I like the triggers on them and all that kind of jazz. Uh, But ergonomically, they are, for my hand, um, while I can shoot them okay, the, the ergonomics of them could be better. Now after having gone out and and uh shot Adrian's M&P in both of them I'm I I've been really kind of thinking about it because if I let's say if I buy a new gun of course that's could be 5-600. Uh and what I had thought about maybe doing is just getting a not necessarily a grip it would be called a grip reduction but I think it's going to be more for me, of a grip customization type thing, so just to where it fits me a little bit better, and I think even with the new triggers with the M and P, I still think I like when it comes down to it. I like the Glock trigger better for me. Now, of course, everybody is different. Everybody has different hands and and different feels and stuff like that that they got for them. But I think what I'm probably going to end up doing is um, maybe going out to Robar which is a company that's based out of here in uh, in Phoenix area, out where I live, I think I might have them do a grip reduction. I've, I've held some of their stuff before at some, uh, some gun shows, and I've held them at, uh, where did I, I actually met the owner, oh, this was a few years ago at one of the NRA, uh, what do they call it, the NRA annual meeting, I guess. Uh, and uh, they had a lot of neat stuff that they could do. As far as like stippling and doing this and doing that, and of course, Robar is, and I'll put will put a link to them on the website. But Robar does a lot of stuff where they'll do different coatings or different finishes, I guess you'd call it, on the uh, on, on your gun. So if like on mine, on, on my uh, seventeen that I have, the finish is basically worn off on on the uh, on the frame, on the uh, excuse me, on the slide, and uh, I need to eventually get it redone. Uh, but there's a wear pattern because I carry. You know, if you carry them all the time, eventually you're going to get wear marks and stuff like that, holster marks, as to where it rubs against you constantly. So anyway, uh, I I think I may end up doing something like that, or if I can find uh, a good company, other maybe even one other than them that if I like them. Uh, the good thing for me about going out to Robar is, of course, I can go. I can just drive it there, drop it off, and then. Uh, I do have some other uh, uh, guns that I carry that I could, that I can carry while that one's in the shop, so to speak. Okay, let's jump to our next bit of feedback. And this comes from Michael. And this was something that is so bizarre and so, uh, there's really no other word for it, or- Orwellian in nature, that you, it, it, it It's hard to believe that this has happened. And as a side note, before we get into it, this has happened to, I think, another individual uh, besides this person. So anyway, let's get into this. Uh, On my timeline, I think in Facebook, I I think I had linked to this article. Uh, Several people have done it, uh, and and most of you guys are going to know about this. So this happened in January 2nd of 2013. The information comes basically from... Uh, medical records, police reports, and, uh, a loss, law sh- a lawsuit, excuse me. And this is from Higaldo County, uh, sheriff's office, um, and the police officers with the city of Deming, and this is in New Mexico, Southern part of the state. Apparently, uh, gentleman David Eckert didn't make a complete stop as he was exiting a Walmart parking lot and he was stopped by law enforcement. They state then that the police asked him to step out of the vehicle and he appeared to be clenching his buttocks. And that gave law enforcement what they considered to be probable cause that Eckert was hiding narcotics in his anal cavity they detained him and they were able to get a search warrant from a judge that allowed for an anal cavity search there was i guess a uh, emergency room doctor that refused to uh perform the search citing that it was unethical um but they went to, or I don't know if it was the same place, to Helix Regional Medical Center in Silver City. And there, of course, the procedures were agreed upon that they were going to perform. And I want to read this out just because, again, it is it is so bizarre. And they say that while he was there, The first thing is his abdominal area was x-rayed and no no narcotics were found. Doctors then performed an exam, an anal exam, and no, no narcotics were found. They did it a second time and no narcotics were found. Then they gave him an enema, which forced him to defecate. No, And he had to do this in front of doctors and police. No narcotics were found. They then did a second enema with the same result. Had to go to the bathroom in front of them. No narcotics were found. They did it a third time, a third enema. Again, same result. No narcotics were found. They then x-rayed him for a second time. Nothing was found. Then they prepped this guy, Eckert, For surgery, they sedated him, and then they did a colonoscopy, which is where they take a scope uh, that has a camera, inserted it into his anus, rectum, colon, and large intestines, and no narcotics were found. All this time, this guy Eckert, as you can imagine, is protesting and saying, I don't give consent. Um... I, I'm I'm speechless that this type of thing is happening in our country. I don't I, I just I don't even really know what to say, but I I think you guys should be aware of that. You know, they have whatever your feelings are sort of on the war on drugs, believe me, there's a war on firearms as well. And if they're willing to do this, To a guy, what would they be willing to do if you had, if you were in an area, let's say like in New Jersey, not saying that you would have to undergo what this guy did, but what links would they be willing to go to, to try and find out if you have guns or if they think you did, and they wanted to take them from you? We are, we really need some changes in this country. Uh, hopefully this guy, uh, wins a lawsuit and they'll, they'll sue them. Um, and that will cost them a fortune. And what that will do is it will force the bureaucrats because they don't want to be sued again and lose money. It'll force them not to go to these extremes. So anyway, Michael, thanks for saying that And Like I said, many people had, uh, had sent this stuff in and lots of people have posted about it. Um, and, uh, like I said, I will put a, a link to the article that Michael did over at the website. And, uh, you can, you can click on that if you want and make it easy to find. Let's move on to our final bit of feedback. And this is from Chris and he writes, hello, my name is Chris and I live in Utah. I am a proud father of three wonderful children. I would like to say thank you for all you do for myself, my family, And any of us that honor our Second Amendment rights, I enjoy the podcast very much and will continue to listen and donate when I can. And that, again, is from Chris in Utah. Well, hey, Chris, thanks for sending that in. That is a real pick-me-up when I get an email like that to know that uh, some of the stuff that I do maybe you connect with and it kind of means something to you or helps you to to think about things or just lets you know that there's others uh, like you that have the same beliefs and things like that, and then they're part of the same community. So again, thanks for sending that in, Chris. Hope to hear from you again soon. All right, let's... You know, I, I did put out a show a couple of weeks ago. Prior to that, I had been uh, unwell, and family had been unwell, blah, 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 blah all this other stuff. Uh, so everybody's kind of good and healthy again. And one of the things I wanted to talk about back then was sort of the Starbucks fiasco, although that's kind of gone off on the back burner and almost been moved on and forgotten about. And I will, I will talk about that probably next week, unless something comes up. I had planned on talking about that this week, but lo and behold, something came up. And what came up was a guns and ammo article, and many of you are going to be familiar to this, uh, familiar with this. Uh, there's been lots of stuff on Facebook about it, uh, links to it. What I wanted to do, though, was read what he said. It, it's a, it's a uh, like a three-column article. It'll take a little bit of time, but I think that what we need to do uh, is, is, at least when we're talking about it, is have it in context. And so if we have what his words were, uh, we can at least kind of have his article in context and have everything in there and, and sort of see what he wrote. And we're not just using little excerpts from it. So, uh, this is called let's talk limits. It is by Dick Metcalf, who is one of the, I think he was the head writer or head editor for guns and ammo. He, Anyway, he's been a guy that's been around for many, many years. The Second Amendment to the Constitution of the United States reads, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Note carefully those last four words shall not be infringed. They do not, say, shall not be regulated. Well, regulated is, in fact, the initial criterion of the amendment itself. I bring this up because way too many gun owners still seem to believe that any regulation of the right to keep and bear arms is an infringement. The fact is, all constitutional rights are regulated, always have been, and need to be. Freedom of speech is regulated. You cannot falsely and deliberately shout fire in a crowded theater. Freedom of religion is regulated. A church cannot practice human sacrifice. Freedom of assembly is regulated. People who don't like you can't gather an anti you demonstration on your front lawn without your permission. And it is illegal for convicted felons or clinically insane to keep and bear arms. But many argue that any regulation at all is, by definition, an infringement. If that were true, then the authors of the Second Amendment themselves should not have specified well regulated. The question is, When does regulation become infringement? From 1976 through 1990, I wrote the, quote, firearms law column in our sister publication, Shooting Times. During those same years, I worked with U.S. Senator Jim McClure, Congressman Harold Volkmer, and NRA ILA Director Neil Knox to draft 1986 Volkmer, Volkmer, excuse me, mcclure Firearms Owners Protection Act, testified before Congress and numerous state legislators on firearms law issues and taught college seminars on the history of constitutional law. I also received bags of mail every year, much of it from readers who were upset that I advocated the passage of additional state concealed carry laws. These readers typically arguing, parenthetically, I am paraphrasing, that the Second Amendment is the authority, uh, excuse me, let me start again. The Second Amendment, quote, the Second Amendment is all the authority we need to carry anywhere we want to, end quote. Or, quote, the government doesn't have the right to tell me whether I'm qualified to carry a gun, close quote. I wondered whether those same people believe that just anybody should be able to buy a vehicle and take it out on public roadways without any kind of driver's training, test, or license. I understand that driving a car is not a right protected by the Constitution, but to me, the basic principle is the same. I firmly believe that all U.S. citizens have a right to keep and bear arms, but I do not believe that they have a right to use them irresponsibly. And I do believe their fellow citizens, by the specific language of the Second Amendment, have an equal right to enact regulatory laws requiring them to undergo adequate training and preparation for the responsibility of bearing arms. I've seen too many examples of unsafe behavior on too many shooting ranges to believe otherwise, and we've all read too many accounts of legally armed individuals dealing with the consequences of not being properly trained or prepared when confronted with a bad situation. This year, my Illinois homeland became the 50th state to enact a CCW statute. It's a shall-issue law, but it requires 16 hours of training to qualify for a license. Many say that's excessive, an inherent infringement, but I don't. But I'd like it to be good training. I write this on the day the Illinois Supreme Court in People v. Aguilar voided the arrest of a man in his friend's yard in chicago because he was holding a pistol the court's ruling ended by saying quote, "of course in concluding that the second amendment protects the right to possess and use a firearm for self-defense outside the home we are in no way saying that such a right is unlimited or is not subject to meaningful regulation that said we cannot escape the reality that in this case we were dealing not with a reasonable regulation, but with a comprehensive ban. Close quote. He concludes the article with, I don't think that requiring 16 hours of training to qualify for a concealed carry license is infringement in and of itself, but that's just me. All right, now that is the end of the article. All right, guys, as you can hear by that plane overhead, I'm at the park. My daughter had some friends over, and the house was filled with running and screaming and laughing little girls, so it was a little noisy there, so I headed out to the park. Now, when last I left you guys, I had just finished up with the Metcalf article. Now, if we are going to debate that, and if we are going to say, okay, well, here's where you're wrong, we have to have some agreed-upon definitions of our own. Now, the basis of all of Metcalf's arguments and his article that he did was that regulation meant governmental constraint, uh, now, he kind of couched it in that old oh, people, but what he really means is that the government uh, and that legislation can be placed uh, to restrict and constrain your individual right to own certain firearms. What the founding fathers meant by regulated was that it was well-equipped and that you knew how to use your, your equipment. Uh, what they meant by militia was not a governmental sanctioned force, but was a voluntary uh, voluntary force comprised of the people and that uh, the age group would basically be at their time was, I think, 17 to 45 and would consist of able-bodied men. Now, in a, in a modern context, well, the reality is, is we have definitely shirked one of our duties, one of the prices that we need to pay for freedom and liberty in that we have passed off that militia and said that oh it's the National Guard or it's the police or it's this or that. Um, But again to them the militia would be a volunteer force. It would be uh, well organized or regulated and it would be considered a fighting force if push came to shove. And it was not to be under the uh, purview of any government agency or any government sanctioning uh, because the whole purpose of the militia is to keep the people freer to keep that the free state, the security of the free state is to be a check and a balance against government overreach and government oppression. So in, a, in effect, what you could do is you could replace the word militia and you could replace the word state with the word people. And it, and it would all make sense. And in the founding fathers, those, I think that those words would sort of all be interchangeable. Um, and, and, and how they thought of stuff. basically, what, so if you said, well the right of the militia or the right of this organized group of free individual people is necessary for the security of a free state or is necessary for the security of the free people in this certain area. So then the right of the people, so of those same people that are going that live in that area, and that comprise that, volunteer, that voluntary fighting group, the right of the people can't be infringed or cannot uh, only be allowed to exist under the good graces and, and benevolent uh, rule of whatever governing body happens to be in power at that time. So when we look at it, if we look at it that way, um, it really shoots a lot of holes into what Metcalf is saying that why you need to have things. And he, he, he trots out really kind of the playbook from the Brady, the Brady, uh, what is it? Violence guns policy thing. I don't know what used to be the, the Brady center for gun control or whatever it was called. Um, you know, he does the same thing of well, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. But that's not true. You can yell fire in a crowded theater. And I've talked about this on the show in the past. You can yell fire in a crowded theater if there's a fire or if there's even smoke and you think there's a legitimate danger. When you give that example, again, it's designed to give an emotional response. It's not designed to hold up to logic or reason. And it's really not designed to be debated that deeply. Uh, if you really look at the intent of that argument, what it says is that your speech is limited, and that you cannot use the word "fire" at all because the word "fire" in and of itself is dangerous. Um, when they talk about when he talks about things like oh, you you know, there's there's restrictions on religion, and that you can't have human sacrifices. Again, we're seeing it's a huge emotional. Uh, response based in hyperbole. Uh, oh, there's, you know, boy, if you don't have restrictions on religions, all the religions are going to be cutting people's heads off and drinking baby blood and, you know, all this other stuff. Well, again, it's designed for an emotional response, not really meant to be looked at logically and have a reasonable debate uh, or argument about. We've we've already got laws against murder. So hiding it and, in, in, you know, you know, you can't say, well, I was really mad at somebody. I, I killed him. And you can't say, well, I heard voices from God telling me to kill him. They said, well, you know, sorry, bro. Looks like you're going to the, you know, to the cage there for, for the rest of your life. You know, so there's already laws in in, in place that say you can't commit murder. Uh, the idea of, while he does say it's a privilege, the the right to drive is not a is not a right it's a privilege he then equates that pretty uh, pretty side by side with the ability to get a that's why you need to get a concealed carry permit so in essence what he's saying is you can't you you have to have the government's permission because otherwise it's too dangerous and when he talks about you know, that, that you, you have to get this training, you have to get this licensing from the government to make it safe for you to drive. It does, again, it doesn't hold water. It's one of these kind of a, it's a fallacy that on it, on it's on the surface, it it sounds like, yeah, well that makes sense. But then once you run your fingernail over the, over the surface and it scratches easily and it flakes away, think about it. Who taught you how to drive? Was it the government? Did you go to a government warehouse and drive their government cars? I didn't. My dad and my sister taught me how to drive. It you know, the the only the only thing that, that kept me from learning how to drive earlier was government restriction. And in fact, I did drive uh, before because I would take the truck and, and we were hauling stuff around. If I needed to, you know, we I would drive. Um but anyway, getting back to that, the you know, his argument is well the reason driving is safe is because government regulates it. And the reason that driving is safe is because you had to go through all this training and do all this stuff and you had to pass these tests and all this other kind of nonsense. The reason that you have to pass a test and the reason that you have to have a license and is for revenue. It's to generate money. So that they can get more tax money out of you. Has nothing to do with safety. And like I said, my dad and uh, to a lesser extent my sister taught me how to drive and most of you out there that are listening learn to drive probably from a relative or maybe from a really good family friend. There was a girl that I was that I was dating years ago and I think I was uh, oh almost 17 I think I was still 16 and she was maybe a year or a year younger than me I think she was 15. And, uh, I actually taught her how to drive. She had a, uh, uh, her dad had a stick shift car and we went out to, um, the mall parking lots where there wasn't anybody around, uh, after the mall had closed down and I taught her how to drive. I taught her how to, you know, shift the gears and do all this other stuff, you know? So, and and that's how most people learned how to drive. You know, you have, um, it's, it's another individual. It's not a government agency that's doing that um so again we we see that you know uh, a lot of these arguments are what you would call statist arguments uh, meaning that the the government knows best and you know it's sort of that same argument of well you know why should you care if they're reading all your emails and keeping all your cell phone information if you got nothing to hide. And, you know, when you fall into that argument of well, if you've got, you've got nothing to hide, why should you care? Basically you're opening yourself up to any type of tyranny. Um, because you're saying, well, they're doing it for my best interest. Uh, so my right to privacy doesn't matter. Um, they like in Japan, the police can just walk into your house pretty much any time they want, and they can come in and start looking around. There are several people in this country who think, well, yeah, that'd probably be okay. Um, you know, the the the, the article that we talked about before about the poor slob who basically uh, literally got anally raped by the government. Uh, repeatedly, against his will. That um, it still, it still boggles my mind that 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 would happen. Um, but anyway, again, it goes back to a statist attitude of well, you know, we got to keep these drugs out of the hand of the children uh, in order, you know, in order to keep it safe. You know, you got to give something up freedom and free buddy you got to give some of it up to keep some, and the reality of that it just when you look at it when you scratch that surface again those arguments just kind of fall away they flake off uh, and fall to the ground and they don't mean anything now you know not too long ago well here let me let me Unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of this stuff from people that are supposed to be our advocates and are supposed to be people that support us and uh, people that have our backs, that type of thing. And unfortunately, what we're seeing is that a lot of these people that are at these gun magazines and these certain organizations are really status at heart. And again, we when when I'm saying status, again, what I'm talking about is that they do not believe that the individual is truly sovereign. They don't believe that you should punish the individual for what the individual does, but basically that you should threaten and cajole and punish the group for what an individual does. And even though a lot of people like that, like Metcalf and others, would deny that, that's basically what's happening. So um, it's going to be... You know, it would be like... Well, you remember I think it was Zumbo uh and you remember uh, who said nobody should have, you know, AR15s and nobody should have AK47s and they're all terror weapons and blah blah blah. Uh and then we had the the uh thing over at recoil magazine where they were saying, well, only the police should be able to have these kind of weapons. It's too dangerous for civilians to have. And now, you know, this with Metcalf. So Uh, the only thing with Metcalf is I don't know if he's, if he's always espoused these things or if he's, uh, uh, I kind of would probably think not, probably not too much in the last maybe 10 years or so, just because if he had, uh, with the internet and how quickly stuff gets out, uh, it it would be kind of knocked down. But, you know, we, we, uh, it's, again, it's disheartening to, to have people that are supposed to be our biggest supporters and that are supposed to be kind of, uh, the, what's that phrase? The tip of the spear, uh, in opinion and and in gun culture and in second amendment thought that type of stuff. Uh, so, which brings up kind of an interesting thing, which is guns and ammo's response to Metcalf. Now they kind of are making it sound like, Oh, well, you know, don't, don't bail on us. Don't, uh, we're second amendment supporters and you know, we don't believe what he said and, and, uh, but they published it. Uh, obviously Metcalf has a boss. He doesn't just get to, to write what he wants, carte blanche. Um, because if he didn't have a boss, nobody could be firing him. Nobody could be letting him go. So that article had to be proofed by somebody and had to be sent up some chain somewhere. And it, It got through and it got published. And when you look at their response, again, what they said was they at one point they they said something like, well, we thought and I don't have it in front of me, so I have to forgive me for this. But they said, basically, we thought it would spark debate, Uh, which is kind of like saying if you're the head of Amnesty International and you write an opinion piece on how the restrictions that North Korea does are pretty good. And you know, when you look at it that way, you're kind of like, oh, okay. And most look, most of us get it, but there are going to be some people that are just going to say, well, hey, this poor guy, you know, he's he's just voicing his opinion. But it's like, again, it's like that guy who's who's all for human rights, but says North Korea isn't doing anything wrong. They're fundamentally different things. They're 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 opposing. They're opposing arguments again it's like you know if you're ahead of that humanitarian organization and you're saying yeah you know what China did to uh, uh to tibet that's pretty cool that's all right you know those guys are doing okay um in North Korea you know they're yeah yeah they rounded up those people and they've starved millions of them and they've killed millions of them and they've you know, basically subjugated and ground them into the dirt, but, uh, you know, some of them are still alive. So, you know, that's, that's all right. Uh, you know, they're not doing nothing over here. So, eh, what do we care? And if you had that person as your head, you would, you would, you would get rid of them, you know? Um, so it, it's going to be one thing that will be interesting. Oh, but, oh, well, let's get back to his firing one thing that they had said in their letter too was that I think he was due to retire this December. So he had this month and, and, uh, one more month to go and then he was going to be gone. So they're firing him. Uh, you know, it's not really that big of, uh, of a gesture, I guess. Uh, it doesn't have that much significance as you would think. Um, the dude that got, that got canned from Recoil Magazine and that Jim Zumbo dude when he got popped uh, and let go, those had more of an effect because those guys weren't due to leave uh, and retire in two months. Um, So, it'll be interesting too to see what Metcalf's Uh, I don't know if we're going to call it excuses or justifications are going to be. Metcalf is going to go on Tom uh, Gresham's gun talk. I haven't heard it yet. Um, I wanted to sort of get my my thoughts and, and opinions out here and didn't want to be necessarily tainted. Although, uh, I haven't, having said that, I, I think I, my, my thoughts are, are, are going to be probably in line with... Most people that are true supporters uh of our individual rights uh to keep and bear arms that that is codified and guaranteed and recognized by the Second amendment not granted by the second amendment and uh that's a big difference that is a very big distinction that a lot of these people don't don't make um but it will be interesting to see. Metcalf, if you've ever seen him on Guns and Ammo TV, if you've ever read uh, read a lot of his written articles and things like that, he is a very kind of the curmudgeonly, you know, grump. And so I don't, I don't know if he'll back down. It'll, it'll either go one or two ways. Either he'll he'll say this is the way I think and blah blah blah, or and he'll stick to his guns. No pun intended. Uh, I guess I should say he he'll, he'll stick to his restricted guns. Or he'll kind of do a mea culpa and say, well, you know, uh, Tom, I, uh, I really, I always believe that's what regulated meant. And so blah, blah, blah. I thought that, you know, that there could be restrictions and, and you know that, you know, we don't want those criminals to have guns and we don't want those crazy people to have guns. So, you know, that's all I was really saying, you know. For the regular folks out there, well, of course they, you know, I'm a Second Amendment guy. And and he, and, and he may even do a mea culpa with a bit of, a, you know, arrogance and condes- uh, condescending tone. Uh, so we shall see. Anyway, uh, I think I'm going to draw the show to a close. Um, I, I'm trying to think if I, if I can remember if I had any other points that I wanted to talk about. I don't think I do right at the moment. I'm sure I'll think of other stuff later. Uh, but... I think I will draw the show to a close. Let me know what you guys think. Let me um, let me know what you think of of uh, these people that are supposed to be in our camp and that are not. All right, guys. I will talk to you next time. Bye.
1: Talking loud round the firelight And then an instant revelation came And in that moment we knew it was not right But in the morning we put back on our chains And oh well, don't you wish we could be an upset The devil has given him superhuman strength. Oh,